listening to the podcast 82488. Stretched, making the plastic chairs squeak, and then the teacher began to speak. A little over a week ago, we marked the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. I was in London in a conference then, and everywhere on the news were pictures of people at Stonehenge celebrating the solstice. Stonehenge, of course, was built to align with the movement of the sun. And that was a selection from today's novel, A Scatter of Light, by author Melinda Lowe. and we all stayed in a vacation rental near Woodacre. A hospital bed was set up in my grandparents' bedroom, and Grandpa spent more and more time there. While nurses came and went twice a day, Dad and Aunt Tammy kept scurrying back and forth from the kitchen to the bedroom to the grocery store and back as if they were trying their hardest to hold the world together with their bare hands. Joan sat at Grandpa's bedside and read to him everything from the latest astronomy papers to his battered old Robert Heinlein science fiction novels. Sometimes I sat with them, and Joan's voice would lull me into a half-waking dream of rocket ships and the boys who flew them. Grandpa died in September. It was one of those perfect golden days in Northern California. The air warm and weightless, the light like slowly melting butterscotch. Dad had made plans to grill steak for dinner because Grandpa said he wanted some, even though he wasn't eating much anymore. He never ate it. The memorial took place at the Unitarian Church in Berkeley that my grandparents had gone to in the two decades they lived there. It was full of Grandpa's former colleagues from Berkeley's astronomy department, where he'd been a professor, but plenty of Joan's friends came too. Afterward, when I was waiting in the church vestibule for my parents, I saw Sarah Franco, the artist from the garage show. She was dressed all in black with a black button-down shirt and polished black Oxfords. She came over to me and told me she was sorry for my loss, and I realized then that she'd always known I was Joan's granddaughter. Page 24 I almost wasn't sure I'd heard him correctly, but the sensation of his breath on my ear was unmistakable. A shiver went through me involuntarily. I could have said, 
You're lying. You never thought of me before this minute. I could have said, that's a terrible line. I turned toward him, intending to give him a withering look, but the expression on his face stopped me. A small grin on his mouth, a sparkle in his eye, all mischief. You're always so mysterious, Aria West, he said. I'm not mysterious, I said, but I felt flattered. I wanted to be mysterious. I've known you since, what, sixth grade? How come we've never hooked up? I thought I should be offended by his question, but the feeling of flattery only they were chanting for his lacrosse buddy to drink faster. Strains of blurred lines floated out from the home theater. I didn't say anything in response, which only made Jacob lean close to me again. His mouth practically on my neck as he whispered, we don't have to talk if you don't want. He must have felt the shiver go through me again. I was a little irritated by my body for responding when I wasn't sure if I wanted it to. And then I thought, why not? This could be the twist of the night for me, even the twist of the year. Ever since sophomore year, I had made it my rule to never hook up with anyone from school. I knew that was one reason Jacob thought I was mysterious. But now, school was almost over. I didn't say anything, but I turned my face to his, and I let him kiss me. There were a couple of guest rooms tucked in the back of the basement. We found one of the empty ones and locked the door behind us. I pulled his shirt off before we even made it to the bed. I was page 88, stretched, making the plastic chairs squeak, and then the teacher began to speak. A little over a week ago, we marked the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. I was in London at a conference then, and everywhere on the news were pictures of people at Stonehenge celebrating the solstice. Stonehenge, of course, was built to align with the movement of the sun. On the solstice, people are allowed to walk into the actual ring of stones that make up Stonehenge. And if you're standing there, in the middle of the stone circle, at dawn on the summer solstice, you'll see the sun rising just to the left of what they call the yield stone. Apparently, there used to be another stone beside the yield stone that would have actually framed the sunrise, but it's gone now. Stones, of course, seem immovable, permanent, but even stones fall down, and yet we don't stop putting them up, do we? A low ripple of laughter went through the room. I don't know how many of you have seen Nancy Holt's monumental work of 
land art called Sun Tunnels. He continued, it's in Utah. There are photographs, but to get the full effect, you have to be there in person. It's a series of massive concrete tubes that are positioned to line up with the sun at the summer and winter solstices. Sound familiar? When I was a child, I thought erroneously that we were closer to the sun during the summer and closest at the summer solstice. Of course, I learned later on that the seasons have nothing to do with how close or far the earth is from the sun. It's the tilt of the earth's axis instead that marks the seasons. At this time of year, the northern hemisphere is most tilted toward the sun, making it warmer in our neck of the woods. Paradoxically, the earth is actually closest to the sun during our winter. I think this goes to show that what seems to be true may not be true. The teacher gave us all a tiny, ironic smile. What seems to be fixed, Stonehenge, even is not fixed. This, the end, a scatter of light, Melinda Lowe. From the light of literature, you will find a story that touches your soul. Please support the authors in this show by viewing the books on the website 82488.com. That's numbers 824, the word 8.